This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So yeah, you know, like in, in joy and energy and how all those things come together. Uh, today's service, we're going to talk about those parts. And, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a history teacher. I'm a history geek. And, and so my goal this service is, is to move you through something where you get to sense some of that joy, see a different shift in perspective, and maybe come out the back and think, wow, Christianity really has something here for me. Christianity, especially within the context of the issue, really has something here for me, something that can add something to my life. I love this phrase. I was reading this, and they said, they were saying, involvement in a church. I totally agree with this, by the way. Involvement in a church is a, quote, difficult joy. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It is. It's a difficult joy. Now, the difficult part of it is because with anything with, with, with church, you're being asked to kind of shift your perspective a little bit. You're being asked to see. You're being asked to serve. You're being asked to reach out. You're being asked to clap your hands and dance. Ray, by the way, told me he will teach me tambourine sometime. You know, you're constantly being stretched in this little way that makes it feel a little difficult. That's the way it needs to be. I mean, I, I love our small group program. There's not a small group that I attend where, where this thought doesn't go across my mind five minutes before, is I wonder if they'll notice if I don't go. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to go, but I know I need to, and then I go, and guess what? I said church is a difficult, please say the word, a difficult joy. And then I find joy. I find connection. I find the statement of me too. So church is this mix of these things, this, this difficulty, this challenge, and then this joy that, that I believe most people really do have in their heart. And granted, for many of us, it's deeply covered under, under fear, under sadness, under loss, very legitimate loss. And church maybe allows that light to come out just a little bit more. And Easter's about that. Easter's about that little speck of light starting to grow and grow and grow until we end up with Easter Sunday. I mean, that's the process of this beautiful story. Now, sometimes as a pastor, just so all of you know, sometimes to get to New Jersey, I go to Ohio first. So could I please get a you-go check? All right, because I'm taking a big-time detour, and you'll just have to smile, and if you don't get it, see me after church. All right, because I want to I get back to New Jersey, but I want to sort of set something up over here. It starts with this idea. In the world, we have, I'm going to have you say the N-word there, we have a unifying or dominant narrative. We just finished up with what's your story. Cultures have stories, too. And that's what we're going to talk a bit about. We have a dominant, a dominant narrative out there. What does a dominant narrative do? Well, it organizes. It, it says, this is where this belongs. This is where that belongs. It, it sets values on things. So it organizes. It sets values. And it's also, folks, unquestioned. That's real important. It's also unquestioned. I grew up in the western part of the state. For anybody, we have, we have a western part. You're going to shout it out, buddy. In the western part of the state, we don't refer to soda, we refer to pop, right? Anybody from Chicago does that too, I hear rumors, right? So that's, that's a paradigm, like it's unquestioned that that's just what you call it. And then moving here and hearing everybody call it soda, I had no idea what they were talking about. That's, those, those are sort of the unquestioned parts, like our dominant paradigm. 
So I'm going to use a sports analogy here, and it's just, it's just a broad one to, to kind of get you in the sense of what I'm talking about here. And I want to talk for a minute about the Philadelphia Eagles. All right? Now, the Philadelphia Eagles, and we can just shout out some answers here because that's what Eagles fans do. So, so, so how do you know? What's, what's a sign that you are at an Eagles game? No, don't see if I, that's coming up. Green, you see lots of green, right? You see jerseys, what kind of pants do you wear? Jeans, what kind, you wear, you wear jeans. What's, I don't know whether you guys can do, I know you can do this actually. What do you hear chanted over and over again? Can you guys actually do it? Can you actually do it? Garrett, can you lead us in this? There you go, you even all know the hymn. You all know the hymn. You know exactly how it goes. So you've got this, this dominant paradigm. You know, you know, you know, you know. And even notice the language, folks. Notice it doesn't say stadium of the Philadelphia Eagles. It says home. It's the home of the, don't you come into my home or my house and do anything bad. Like it's the word home. And then you get Eagles fans. And, and this is really like, look how close you were on their uniform. You got it correct. Edwin Steiner's number 54, just so you know. <laughs> yes, that's it, right? We know that. Now, it's easy. We set that up and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the dominant paradigm. Of course, I get that. But it's not that upsetting. But what I want to tell you is we do get upset all the time when the counter-narrative, when the other part flips in. Counter-narrative. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, sorry, George. We all do love you. We really do. Yeah, give him a round of applause, folks. See, it's... Guys, are you ready for this? It's just a game. It's just a game. That's all it is. And you booed this poor... This man has children. My children booed me. Your children booed him, right. And now somebody... He's going to... Casey's getting his beer warmed up to pour in his head when he walks back. Like, you see, we have the dominant paradigm. And then when the counter paradigm shows up, it's like, oh, the bad guys. This flip. And it's a little upsetting. Give George a round of applause. Thank you, George. <laughs> You're still getting booed. I love that. <laughs> this is, yes, Philadelphia fans really do boo Santa Claus. That is, that is true. So, you know... You have to kind of see the Easter story that way. And it's not to like, like say the Eagles are good, bad, and different, anything. But you have to kind of see that at a macro level. We have our dominant paradigm. Then we have the counter narrative that takes place. And that counter narrative can be very unsettling to people. Easter. Counter narrative, very unsettling to people. Easter. Counter narrative, very unsettling to people. I want to talk a bit just, just about how that works. Now, now here, when, when you look at Christianity, um, a lot of people struggle with, well, exactly who was Christ? And a lot of religions spend a ton of time figuring that out. And a lot of time talking about it. It's, it's time well spent. It's a good, it's a good conversation to have. Was he, was he divine? Was he just a, a good role model? I'm not here to tell you you have to see it one way or the other. I mean, I clearly believe in the divinity of Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. But other people have different perspectives. Other members of this congregation have different perspectives. It's not, I don't see Christ really getting hung up on that. 
I think what he gets hung up on, what he really was about, was trying to show us lifestyle Christianity. Uh, and he didn't even call it Christianity. It was called the way, by the way. Trying to, trying to show us a different way to actually live. He didn't get into a lot of arguments around divinity. He got into a lot of arguments around care and service and what we can be in a very joyous way, what we can actually be to each other. So you have to see that, that kind of counter-narrative, and you have to also see, again, like, see what he's saying. And we miss this in the book, because the book's just about the Christian perspective, but you get senses of the dominant narrative. The dominant narrative at that time was the Roman narrative. The Roman narrative, some fascinating parts. You've seen me do this before, but we have some new people here. I, I just, I find this really fascinating. That is a coin with Caesar Augustus, 27 AD. And what it says in there is Caesar Augustus, son of God. Pretty interesting, right? Christ, he starts his, his ministry at about 30 AD. And lots of people are starting him, start calling him the son of God. A direct, a direct challenge to this. And then we also see some other examples. Take a look at these folks. These are really interesting, I think, as a history teacher. So Caesar Augustus, unifying dominant narrative. Caesar Augustus, the son of God. The word in Latin, soter, used over and over again. The word savior. So, so you'll see a lot in Christianity, the word savior. That word was used by the Romans all the time. Poseidon soter, Zeus soter, you know, just fill in the, the pantheon of gods. All of them, the last name was savior. This is really interesting. Evangelium, where we get the word for evangelize. Where we get the word for evangelize. Good news of a military conquest. Are you seeing where I'm going? Isn't this interesting? You know, this language that keeps on getting, that was the Roman language that keeps on getting used in this very, very beautiful counter-narrative. And the clear Roman call, peace through victory which was really peace via military conquest. And we see a very different view, a very different view of what victory is. Very different view. So as the band comes out for our bucket song, I want you just to think in your mind, yeah, I wonder what that is like to actually, to, to, to maybe just, just open ourselves, again, our hands open, just open ourselves for maybe what this counter-narrative actually is. Even if you're just not, you know, you're not that concerned about the divinity of Christ, just look at the counter-narrative that he lived into. Because at any level we look at it, it's brilliant. It offers us a new way to live. It offers us a new way to see. It offers a new way to bring light, to bring light into our lives. So when we're talking about the counter-narrative here, we're talking about the counter-narrative, I want to like share with you some parts of, I think, how the counter-narrative works. We're going to have these up here on the screen, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to be out there with you folks. I'm going to read the red part, and then if somebody would like to read the green part, just raise your hand. I'll hand you the microphone. You get to read the green part. I'll offer some commentary. We have five of these. But I think these start to point us towards this counter-narrative, because I think... Um, Wait, it's so easy with Christianity to kind of like grab it, throw it way up there, way away from us, and freeze it. And, and instead of saying, no, actually, this, this really has messages for how we live. 
Again, a lifestyle Christianity. A lifestyle. I think that's new church theology through and through. A lifestyle Christianity. So I want to talk about these. So the first one, let me come off the stage here. The first one, you know, at that time, you know, in that land, there was highly stratified religious elitism. In other words, like, there was a real, real, real direct um, elitism. Like, you, when you were at the top, you were at the tippy top. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Now, who would like to read for us religion of common humanity? No, it doesn't care about me. I'm religion of common shared humanity. Excellent. Religion of common shared humanity. So instead of it being a pyramid, Christ says, see if you can get the right geometric shape. Instead of it being a pyramid, he said, it's all a, I'll give you guys the hint here. It's all a what? It's all a circle. So instead of being a pyramid, it's a circle. The next one, economics of predatory accumulation. So you had, you had an elite at the tippy top, and there was no such thing as a middle class. All the money just came right up to that very, very tippy top. Economics of social responsibility. Economics of social responsibility. That was our singer from a few weeks ago who did such a good job. Economics of so, so all of a sudden now it's, it's not just about what all I get, but it's the idea that actually I owe stuff. All elements, the top and the bottom, all owe stuff across the board. So that idea that we're kind of all in it together. Next one. Coercive violence, subjugation. Romans were big on that. That's why they had this thing called the cross and crucifixion. Coercive violence and subjugation. Who wants to read that one for me? Just, oh, we got somebody way in the back. Excellent. Your friends are all taking you out to lunch immediately after church because you are being so brave. Excellent. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Very good. So that is known as agape love. Agape love. Sacrificial love. Love that is willing to give of itself. Very different. Not concerned with what I get, concerned with what I give. The next one, crushing enemies. What's the opposite of that? Who can put their hand up here? Oh, we got another. We are just, you guys are on fire back here. You'll be next. Loving enemies. Loving enemies. So that idea of instead of crushing those who you're against, that idea, no, your job is to actually love them. And the last one here, marginalizing the poor and the suffering. So, so the poor and the suffering were outcasts. They were on the very edge. Y'all ready? There you go, brother. Movement towards communion with the poor suffering. With the poor suffering. Very good. Give everybody a round of applause, folks. <laughs> Just let me run back up here, catch my breath. When I came up with this list, it's, it's interesting when you look at this list and to think of that, well, it's very academic, you know, big words. And it is big words, but, but I want to say there, there's, there's life underneath this. We can live this. We can live this. There's life underneath us. There's life underneath this. Could we all say show us? Show us. I want to show you. I want to show you. Next slide. Okay. That's at the Ronald McDonald House. Folks, 
When you look at that picture at the Ronald McDonald House, do you see a religion of common shared humanity, yes or no? Yes. You must do better than that. Religion of common shared humanity. Thank you. Do you see economics of social responsibility? Yes. Nobody's going there going like, well, check, I'll go, but you know, I hear you don't pay minimum wage. You know, no, it's not even a conversation. Like, it's just, no, these are, these are ill families. We're going to be responsible towards them. Do we see sacrificial love there? Yes, all those people could have been on Facebook that night. They could have. And they chose something very, very different. We don't really see loving enemies there per se. I mean, I can't imagine you going to Ronald McDonald House and going like, oh, there's an enemy. Um, <laughs> But, but you can have those experiences that are hard. I think some of us have gone to community service events and there's been a hard event or a hard thing that happened where we really are called to love our enemies even though we don't want to in that moment. And the last one, do we see a movement towards communion with the poor and suffering here? Yes, we do. So, so you can see, folks, that this, this does actually work. Like, it, it, it is a way that we can live. We can live this counter-narrative. We can live this counter-narrative. And isn't it interesting, when we do, again, it's difficult, but I said religion is a difficult joy. Those of you who were here, who went to it, did you feel some joy that day? Yeah. It's a difficult joy. But they wouldn't not do it. See, that's the, that's the beauty of this counter-narrative. It's, it's not going to war with culture. It's not being angry in a, in a tearing down, um, slamming way. I mean, we live, we live, we live in a, in a crisis. I, one of the parts of our current crisis, I think, is that, that we're also invested in outrage. <laughs> you know, this, this is, this is one way. I mean, there is a time for us to have clear voices. And there's always a time for us to do this as part of a counter-narrative, as part of doing the world differently and finding there within that difficult joy a place where our spirit and our humanity start to combine. Now, there is nothing easy about that. I mean, one of the, one of the beautiful stories, I think, of the, of the Easter series is, is one I want to read for you here. It's not real long. And it's a story about how Christ is going through this challenge. You know, because again, difficult joy. Difficulty means that, that there's, there's temptations involved, there's challenges, there's struggles. In the new church, we hold temptation, struggle as a really good sign. Believe it or not, it means you're growing. It means you're shifting. Please listen carefully. It means you are discovering something worth fighting for. It means you are discovering something worth fighting for. Now, the process to that is difficult because it involves an emptying and it involves a blessing. And the emptying oftentimes takes place first before the blessing. But the emptying happens, those challenges and in that part of you, if you get something a little caught in your throat right now, like, yep, I know what he's talking about. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> then the blessing occurs. And when we do that, please listen carefully. When we do that, 
we find our spirit and our humanity being woven together by God. Ronald McDonald House picture, spirit and humanity being woven together. Difficult and a joy. Difficult and a joy. Listen to these words as, as, as Christ faces a temptation, uh, a challenge before the whole Easter story, which we're going to get into next week and the week after. Listen to these words and hear them in that context. Then Jesus went with his disciples, and his disciples, as you aren't aware, those are the people who followed him, to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden of Gethsemane. You can actually go and, and, and enjoy it today. You can go and visit it today. Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowed and troubled. Then he said to him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible that this cup may be taken from me, yet not, this is so beautiful, yet not as I will, but as you will. So the cup, in other words, like, I don't want to struggle. I just, I can't struggle anymore. I just can't do it. Could, could you take this? And then this acknowledgement of like, look, and not my will, but yours. Surrender. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me for one hour, he asked them. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me, lest I drink it, may your will be done. It's interesting what Christ is asking here. He's saying, stay here and watch. I'm happy to say the last two words. Stay here and watch with me. And yet these, these disciples are, you know, they're, 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 they're sleepy. I fall asleep all the time. How many of us do that? We just, we just fall asleep. You know, I, I find a lot of people, it's not that they wake up in the morning thinking, how big a jerk can I be today? But they just don't. But they, like me, fall asleep. You know, we, we, we just do. I, I, just a simple one. My, my daughter on, uh, on Friday, they had an in-service day. Um, I'm racing around doing a bunch of things. I call her up to check in with her. I'm grabbing lunch on the way back from one meeting to another. Um, just in a rush, it's like a two-minute check-in. And then I hung up the phone and I could hear her voice. I could hear what was in her tone. And I'd already eaten lunch. Like I'd already gotten, gotten it. I could hear what was in her tone, which was, Dad, would you come home and eat lunch with me? But guess what? I was asleep. I was asleep. Maybe, hopefully, I'll do better next time. But I was asleep for that moment. And I, how many of us resonate with that? Right, we're, just, we're just asleep some of the time. I think that's really true. And then the passage goes on to say this. Going a little further, he fell with his face down to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we see again Christ moving into folks in his own way. In his own way moving from a dominant narrative to a counter-narrative. He's saying, look, in this pain and this agony, I don't get it. I don't understand. I can't see it. I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to suffer anymore. And the miracle 
the surrender in saying there is a counter-narrative. There is a different way to see this. And maybe I can't always see it as clearly as what we spelled out. But what I can do, please listen carefully. I can learn over my time in this life to trust it. To just trust it. Trust that there is a holding. Trust that there is a bigger picture. Trust that even in those moments like that where I just feel such great despair that that, that there is something else happening. That God in some way that I can't quite understand is trying to bring my, my spirit and my humanity together. That there's an emptying and a blessing that's taking place that I may not be able to see. But can I trust, can I trust that it is occurring? See, God is always asking us very gently to wake up. If you notice, he, he does confront the disciples in a way. He said, couldn't you just have stayed awake for an hour? But he doesn't berate them. He goes about his business like, God knows we're pretty sleepy people. <laughs> we sleep a lot. And yet it's this constant call to wake up. Allow that to be Easter for you. Chasing light. Allow it to be waking up to a different way. A counter-narrative. Now understand, God was some of it, some of it's pretty humorous. Some of the ways he asks us to wake up, it's, 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 it's funny. I found this funny. Uh, this is a line where he was trying to get some people to wake up. And it's a famous one. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let, you, let him have your cloak also. So, so people wore an inner layer and an outer layer at that time. How many changes of clothes did people have at that time, folks? Who can shout it out? One, you had one change of clothes. So here's Christ, and I, this is the kind of thing where we miss. I think he's saying, look, wake up. And, and if, if, if somebody is suing you and they're taking away your jacket, well, give them the rest of your clothes. See how they do with you standing there naked in front of them. And I, I picture him like giggling. I picture him giggling, saying like, see how that works for him. My guess is they're not going to sue you for the other piece of clothing. There's those humorous parts, and then there's also just this, this deep, deep, deep thing of, of really asking us to wake up. To wake up to what your life can be, to what joy can be, to what service can be. And all he's waiting for is for you to take the step. For you to let the light shine in. For you to welcome him. Please listen carefully. Because when you welcome Christianity into your life, you will find yourself, I promise you this, welcomed home. Welcome to who you really are. Welcome to the angel inside. Welcome to your spirit and your humanity blending in a beautiful way that only you can offer to this world. Maybe this Easter, we can commit to make it that thing. Amen. We're now going to close today's service. I'm going to say a prayer. You have your opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of silent reflection and a silent prayer as we get ready again to move towards Easter. And again, we hope to see you all back next week.
So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence among us here today. Lord, your kingdom, as we know, is a kingdom of mutual love. Allow us, Lord, to live more and more into that mutual love. Those places where our spirit and our humanity come together. Knowing, Lord, that oftentimes that coming together is challenging, is hard. As we learn this, as we learn what is worthy of our lives, as we learn what is worthy to fight for, as we learn how to love and to love deeply and to love truly and to love in a way that the world is indeed healed, however small a way we can offer to that. Right there, in that spot, stir our hearts. Shift our perspective. Open our lives. Allow us to chase that light this Easter. In your name, we pray. As we wake up, amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.